Welcome to the River Life Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you will encounter Jesus and allow His words to wash you anew. May He reveal more of who He is to your heart. Here's the message for this week. A very good morning, River Lifers. Morning and such a warm welcome to Elder Dave and, and ex-Elder Dave and Dawn. I've heard so much about you and uh, it's such a blessing to have you back here with us. I allow me actually also to cere- celebrate two very special people in our midst. Uh, they're sons of this house and they share the same birth date. And that's none other than Pastor Chen Sing and Pastor Jo Kim. Blessed birthday. Shall we sing one line of happy birthday? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to Chen Sing and Jo Kim. Happy birthday to you. Blessed birthday. Well, folks, as uh, you've heard from Elder E. Young, we are in right smack in the midst of our sermon series in the wake of awakening revivals. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been gleaning from Old Testament characters like Hannah, like uh, Jehoshaphat, Elijah, and Jacob last week. So God continues to awaken us to who he is, and how we ought to live as his people. Romans 15.4 reminds us that for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope and overflow with confidence in his promises. And so today, we're going to look into the time of King Josiah and the season of awakening during his reign. Shall we pray? Abba Father, this morning, we come before you as a people of your word. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so, Abba Father, prepare our hearts this morning to receive your word and to allow your word to transform and speak into the core of our being. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 
When I was eight years old, I was trying to recall what I was doing as an eight-year-old. I could hardly remember. But, uh, well, kind of tells you I'm not that old, but it's subjective, isn't it? The little that I can remember as an eight-year-old was that I was a real timid, a rather fearful little girl. Um, and at home, I was just waiting and wondering when the next fight will break out at home, either between my parents or between my brothers, who were then teenagers. I had happier times too. I remember in school, I would look forward to recess time. I wouldn't eat, but I would reserve all that time to play. And if you are in my generation, born in the 1960s, mid, or late 1960s, um, you would remember a game called Zero Point. Yeah? Okay, it's very telling that, that you are from the same era as I am. Zero Point for, for those uh, millennials um, and the Gen Zs, it's, it's like a game of uh, high jump. Uh, but obviously, it didn't help me grow very tall. It's like a game of high jump. That's, and, and the pole is not a pole. You try to jump as, as high as you can over this pole that is made up of rubber bands that are strung together that looks like jumping ropes. So these are some of the you know, uh, recollections as an eight-year-old. But today's eight-year-olds, as some of your children uh, might be, are very different. Today, nevertheless, we're going to look at an, an eight-year-old. An eight-year-old boy who had way many more responsibilities than doing homework today, than going for tuition and enrichment classes, playing... And what have you? And his name is Josiah. Now, um, I'm going to invite you to read responsively with me as we go along today. Because the account of Josiah's reign, and that's my first part of our, our message today, the account of his life and what he did is found in both, in two books of the Bible, actually, in Second Chronicles chapter 34 and 35, and Second Kings 22 to 23. And so as we go along, I'm going to invite you to read responsively with me. Now, Josiah is well known as a revival king. In fact, he was the last and the fifth of the revival kings after Esther, Jehoshaphat, Joash, and Hezekiah. Now he became the king of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, at eight years old. And though he was the last of the good kings of Judah, his family background is probably not what you would have guessed. His father and his grandfather were some of the worst kings in, the, in Judah. Both were described as evil in the sight of God. Neither were obedient to God, 
And um, they, and neither of them embraced the word of God. In fact, both of them, both his father and grandfather, were involved heavily in child sacrifices. And they turned the hearts of the people against God. Manasseh, the king, his grandfather served for 55 years, while Ammon, his father, served for only two before he was assassinated. Josiah had no godly models to follow. And there was really nothing good in the leadership of his forefathers to follow. Nothing good that would have prepared him to become a good king. And so here you have an eight-year-old Josiah who inherited a kingdom where moral anarchy and rampant idolatry was so common. And just like an unlikely youngster, weak by any standard for the task. And the political climate was also unpredictable and volatile before him. In fact, Judah was spinning out of control and headed straight into the judgment of God. There lies the context of Josiah's reign. But as the revival king, we're going to explore primarily today from 2 Kings chapter 34, sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 34, about the feats of his revival. The feats of the revival. And the first one is this, the reforming of the nation where he eliminated idolatry. And at this point, let me invite you to read verses 3 to 7. <clears throat> Shall we stand for this first reading? <clears throat> Shall we? Verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign... Please be seated. 20 year old Josiah. He has now been king for 12 years. And what is so significant about this period is his desire to seek God at the age of 16. And this intimacy with God that ensued 
just led to this very first act of his kingship. Removing the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images in Judah was no easy task. Because if you take the leadership of his father and grandfather, you are looking at 57 years of evil. And that's how long God's people have been led astray. And it was definitely most unpopular. Disrupting what is so familiar to the people, disrupting all the fleshly habits of the people that they've become so accustomed to. But Josiah was willing to do whatever it takes to clean house and to get rid of all the idols in the temple, the adulterous priests, the practice of sodomy and prostitution in the temple, astrology, and ritual sacrifices of children. These were just some of the wickedness propagated by his forefathers. And what's interesting about Josiah, he did not just, he not only tore down the idols, you read that he grounded them to dust, making it completely impossible for anyone to put them back together. And that means destroying the altars to dust is a very visual way of cleaning house and not leaving any sort of visual temptation to go back to the false gods. When we get rid of something that's displeasing in our lives, do we leave traces? Think about that. Josiah traveled throughout the land of Israel and he stamped idolatry wherever it was found. He was thorough and there was no compromise at all. That's feat number one. The next thing about the feat of his revival is the restoration of the temple in verses 8 to 13. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, and Joah, son of Johes, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. Now he's, at 20, he's 26 years old. We see Josiah now putting in place the administration of funds for the temple repairs and the administration of the work of temple repairs. And in the process of repairing the temple, they discovered the book of the law written by Moses. And this is where we move into the third feet of discovering the scriptures. Shall we read verses 14 to 18? You may be seated. Remain seated to read this. Verse 14. Now when they I have found the book of the law.
This book of the law had been completely buried in the temple. And when the copy of God's word was brought to Josiah, he immediately responded to the Lord with fresh renewal. And the discovery of God's word was, in fact, the discovery of not just words, but life-changing truths. And it, is not only ch- it not only changed Josiah on a very personal level, but it subsequently changed a nation. And that brings us to the next thing about the conviction of God's word in Josiah that is found in verses 19 to 21. Thus it happened, shall we read that? Go inquire of the Lord. God's word has always been a revelation. Josiah, at this age of 26, heard the words of the book. He tore his clothes. Now, in those days, tearing of your clothes expresses extreme grief and humility. And the king, who had all the power at the fingertips, expressed ultimate humility and ultimate grief when he tore his clothes. There is that brokenness over sin. And Josiah realized from the reading of the book how far the nation of Judah has strayed from God and his word. But he was now in a position to turn the nation back from destruction. And it all began when he heard God's word. And the next thing we find in this feat of this revival is fearing God's word. Now the king perceives that the message of the law has profound implications for him and the nation. And this explains Josiah's decision to to appoint envoys, envoys to seek an interpretation of the word and to ask for counsel. In addressing this very disturbing news, about God's anger revealed in the law. And so the prophetess, Huldah, who is the wife of the king's tailor, proclaims God's severe and impending and imminent judgment. But as well as he, she proclaimed God's sparing Josiah from witnessing the judgment on Judah and the people because of his humble repentance. And we, we shall read Second Chronicles 34, verse 23. And she said to them, mm. 
but to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. In verses 26. Let's read. Thus shall, let's read together. Thus shall you say to him, King, you are doing very well. There is value in reading the Word of God together. Having heard from the prophetess on the eventual judgment of Judah, Josiah now went on to his next feat of the revival, covenanting with the Lord. Josiah wanted to get the kingdom right with God. And so he called for a national assembly and he read the word to the people and he led them to repentance. And Josiah led by example and made a commitment to enter into a covenant with the Lord. And the final reading for us today is in verses 29 to 33. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. So he called the people to covenant with him, to walk before the Lord in obedience and devotion. What Josiah was pleading to the Lord was for the yielding of the people's hearts and souls to the Lord in sincerity and truth. They were ultimately not following an earthly king but they were renewing their commitment to the covenant with the Lord and to diligently serve him. And one of the other feats of his revival that deserves a mention, though not covered in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, 
is this restoring the Passover. An entire chapter was devoted to this in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 35, where he restored the Passover in a way that no other king of Judah or Israel had done. Verse 18 reads, No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah. And the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. Folks, we spend the last few minutes reviewing the feats of the revival. Josiah may have done quite a few things in his reign. But what is it about him that God would choose to use him? What is it about him that God would work through Josiah? Let's consider the heart of this man. And we're going to explore the heart behind the revival. And that's really the summation of it is covered in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 34. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. These two verses pretty much summarizes his reign. And before his death, at a very young age of 39, this young man would have been used by God to lead his nation back to God. And he was the one who led his nation in one of the greatest revivals of her history. There's one simple, very direct, very obvious, that every Christian seated here would know. But yet, very few of us may take it seriously. It's very plain, it's very straightforward, but you and I might be tempted to dismiss it. The secret to Josiah's influence and how God used him or chose to use him is simply he chose wholehearted devotion to God. Now, this is really a stark contrast to the very popular brand of Christianity today that is half-hearted with divided loyalties, that operates on kind of mild enthusiasm, partial obedience, and is convenience-driven. This version of contemporary Christian in the world today is something foreign, and it doesn't mark who Josiah is. Wholehearted is holding nothing back. It is genuine, not pretending. It is fervent, not lukewarm. 
wholeheartedness towards God is single-minded in its pursuit, with no reservations, no compromises, and no excuses. Now listen to the summary of his 31-year reign in 2 Kings 23-25. to Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses. Listen to this. Nor did any like him arise after him. Remember when the teacher of the law asked Jesus that question? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is the core command, the starting place for all other commands of God. Now, if we don't get this right, then, and if we don't make God and have Him at the center of our life, then it really doesn't matter what you and I do. To God, it might not make, it's not going to make any difference. Josiah lived the great commandment. Not perfectly, of course, just like you and I. But the compass needle of his heart was always pointing to a true north of loving God. And he began right where he was. As best as he know how, he gave himself to God. Even when times when he is weak, every day, all through his life, Josiah chose wholehearted devotion to God. And I want to make this other connection that holds out to an awesome promise to all of us who seek wholehearted devotion to God. And that's in 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro over all the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. The omniscient eyes of God are every day, everywhere, always. He tracks our motives. He sifts our attitudes. He scrutinizes our hearts, even right now. God searches unceasingly. He's eager and he stands so ready at all times to back us up, to show himself strong, to use us on behalf of any man, any woman, young or old, whose heart is wholehearted towards him. And so we, we find in, in, in this passage today that God's eyes rested on this young boy called Josiah, who had everything against him, but God found a heart that was completely devoted to him. 
You know, Josiah's story is just one of, you know, it's an example of the power of God that is at work in an ordinary man. Just like you and I. And how the ripple effects were felt throughout the nation. But folks, wholehearted devotion don't just happen. We need to notice the choices that Josiah makes and that he has made in fostering this heart that is totally and completely devoted to God. And that's really found in verse 2 as we unpack this. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The choice, one of the first three choices he made in fostering this God-centered, wholehearted devotion to God is this. He did, he set his eyes on one simple goal. To please God with all in all his ways. He didn't take this cues from his own family. He rose above the spiritual emptiness in his home. He didn't succumb to the godlessness all around him and in his nation. In fact, Josiah swam against the current of his day by setting a, a simple personal priority in his life at the core of who he is. More than anything else, he wanted to live a life pleasing to God. And his devotion to the Lord increased as he grew. His determination to pursue and worship God was already so evident even when he was 16. And by his 20th birthday, his heart was so shaped by God that he used his office to institute a nationwide purging of every trace of idolatry, which we read earlier. And when he turned 26, he turned his attention to the ruined temple, which had been neglected for more than 250 years. Josiah acted very differently from his forefathers, and he made choices as a king that the people and generations have not seen. He swam against the tide. And every stage, at every stage of Josiah's life, from childhood to teenage and on to young adulthood, his pursuit of this simple goal never waned. And that was he wanted to please God in all his ways. The second choice that Josiah made was this. He maintained godly practices. In verse 2b, we read, Josiah walked in the ways of David, his father. Now, the ways of David, folks, is, is, they are easy to discern from scriptures. A devotion to God's word, to prayer, to fasting, to regular worship in the sanctuary. These are frequent themes in David's writings. And these were likely also the regular practices of Josiah's life. And probably he sought the counsel and from the priests and prophets of this day. The, the phrase walk 
in the ways refers to a lifestyle. In other words, Josiah's pursuit of God wasn't an on-off, you know, on-off uh, thing. He wove very godly and specific habits and practices into the rhythms of his days that kept him on a path of godliness and turned his heart towards God. Friends, walking and learning his ways is a lifetime process. There are times that we don't do so well, but as long as we keep on this lifelong process of moving and weaving in godly practices, we are on the right track. You know, and at this point, I just want to invite a very special couple, very inspired by their story, um, to share their testimony about what it takes you know, for them to even be engaged in the godly practices um, in their lives. Um, Lemuel and Esther. Hi everyone, good morning. Uh, my name is Lemuel, this is my wife Esther. We have a daughter, three-year-old, Caris, and this is Sophia, uh, 16 months. Yeah, she wanted to come on the stage. <laughs> Uh, we first heard about the 31 days of prayer and fasting uh, when we were in a season of trying to stabilize our children's uh, sleep. And while I resonated with the call to prayer and fast, to, to, to pray and fast, right, my first thought hearing about the nightly prayer meeting was, wow, the kids' sleeping schedule, how? Uh? Like, they don't sleep properly, they'll be cranky, they cranky, they fall sick, fall sick, then everyone suffers. And it was not like a one-day or one-week period, but it was three weeks and I was kind of annoyed, la, like, why the church leadership call for such a huge commitment, 21 days, at such short notice, it was like three weeks, right, before it was going to start, and such a commitment would be so, like, inconvenient. La. Yeah, so actually I was having similar thoughts, like, when I heard uh, about the 21 days, my immediate thought was, Siao, uh, and then uh, almost immediately, I heard God ask me, you don't trust me, man? And I was like, oh, sorry. Uh, so I think God was asking me whether I could trust him that things will work out, uh, that our children won't fall sick, uh, that their sleeping will not be too messed up. Yeah, so I was challenged. La. Like, if we cannot bear the inconveniences and the discomfort of making it for these night meetings, night, nightly prayer meetings, <laughs> how will we be able to bear possible future suffering? Like, how will we be able to stand in times of persecution? So... As parents of young kids, uh, there's really no like, good time to put revival in our calendar. I can't be like, okay, God, you wait, okay, don't bring revival first. Wait until uh, my kids can feed themselves and bathe themselves. Uh, then you come, you come. Or like, hey, actually, wait, wait, wait until PSLE finish, then, okay, like, then you come. Like. I cannot tell God to go and schedule revival, right? Yeah, so it, it reminded me of how uh, Jesus said in Matthew 8, let the dead bury their own dead. Yeah, so I shared this thought with Lem, uh, and he was a bit hesitant. He was more hesitant than me. La. <laughs> and he decided that we should commit to going for as many nights as possible. We're like, okay, I'll be realistic also, la, you know. It's not that easy. Yeah. So, but he always says, ah, can work it out one. La. So, I, we did. La. Uh, yeah, so I was asking, like, yeah, what's the worst that could happen, right? Sleep-deprived kids, sick kids. Let's try, la, let's try. Uh, but God very gently shifted my, uh, my focus from like, the sacrifices and the possible negative consequences towards asking the question, 
actually, what good could come out of this? Of having our kids spend extended time in an atmosphere of worship and prayer, of being familiar with the presence of God. Uh, so our commitment was, like, let's do this. Fast a meal a day, show up at nightly prayer meetings for mm. as many nights as we can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so for all the young parents who are curious, right, uh, for all 21 days, they really didn't fall sick. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but honestly, it was so tiring. Like, four days in, right, I wanted to give up because... Uh, like, it's so tiring to like, settle everybody's dinner, then get them to shower, then bring, get them to church on time. And then during one of the nightly prayer meetings, so the next day, I was just asking, La, is it worth it? Like, can't we just watch, watch it live online? Uh, but Esther helped me reframe the question to ask, like, actually, is he worth it? Yeah, so, I mean, the answer is clear, right? He is. Um, and to be honest, I was expecting some kind of like big like wow moment uh, as we attended at the prayer meetings night after night. Uh, but it's really hard like, when you have two kids running around and like you're just trying to make sure they don't you know injure themselves or like disturb people too much. Uh, so um, what I learned instead was to catch the God moments as they came, uh, and I found my heart slowly shifting, uh, growing in my desire for Him, growing closer to Him, and. Uh, Beyond just like thinking of ways to do more things for him, because I like to do things more lah. Yeah. So on one of the nights, uh, we had an extended family dinner, uh, and then we left early because we wanted to come for mm. prayer meeting mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but we were very tempted to skip it because because we were like, wow, the dinner's super nice, like a live prata station. Oh, like wow. Yeah. But we were like, okay, okay, let's just go lah. Let's just go. So we just came over late, but we came. Uh, and during the prayer meeting, uh, Sophia was walking around as usual, so she obviously cannot sit still. Uh, and she caught the eye of a young adult. Uh, and that, that young adult, the young adult eventually realized that uh, I was Sophia's mother. So the young adult saw her and said, oh, you're so cute. Then, eh, oh, that's her mother. Yeah, and, and then, so actually, um, about four years ago, uh, I had walked with this young adult for a short period of time. Uh, and that night happened to be her first night back in church in a while. Uh, and she was asking God, actually at that moment, she was asking God, uh, do you really love me? And then she saw Sophia and then me. And then she was reminded of God's tangible love for her. Uh, and she felt like, wow, okay, God, you answer my question. Yeah, and I was so encouraged because uh, it was God showing me uh, that sometimes just showing up with kids is a ministry in itself. Like, I didn't really do anything, you know, but yeah, just showing up was a ministry. Yeah. For me, I think God was leading me out of the oppression of like sexual temptations and to really enjoy and be more familiar with His presence. Uh, at that point in time, I was like in a relatively good place, but I feel like sometimes there's this like heavy cloud of oppression in my mind, lah, right? Um, I think God was inviting me then to step into total freedom from the oppressive temptations. To not be content with like 80-90% freedom, but like 100%. And uh, with some trepidation in my heart, I accepted God's invitation and I shared this journey with Esther. And over the 21 days, we had like really good conversations about God's design for sex. And as we spent time in prayer, I know that God was really doing something in my heart that is unseen but very real. And I feel like there is this heavy, there's this dark cloud, right, that is lifted. Uh, I feel light. I just, there's a certain newness like, that I feel uh, that I never knew that I could, uh, that I never knew or expected that I could experience something like that. 
And, and to be clear, the devil still tempts me, right? But there's a renewed grace from God to turn away from choosing sin towards choosing holiness. And it's still hard, but I have an extra boost uh, from God and, and from my lovely wife. Um, and having experienced, you know, the gentle touch of God, I know it is my responsibility to usher in, to host the presence of God in my household so that my children can experience and recognize God's presence. And I pray that God will continue to show us how we as parents can continue to do so uh, with our two girls. You want to read this part or I read for you? And one of the things that we have started uh, doing is like a nightly family devotion. We sing one worship song, we read the Bible together, uh, we pray together. And it's chaotic at times, most times. <laughs> but we see our girls uh, growing to love being in God's presence. Like just raising their hands and singing together. Besides disturbing each other. Um, and we do see that there's a certain growth in our family. And, and we also hope la, that <laughs> as a church, right, uh, we will continue to be awakened. We will continue to look beyond ourselves and to love Jesus rightly. Uh, not only when it is convenient, but, be- and, but when it's, even when it's inconvenient, because He is worth it. Yeah, so with that, we thank you for your attention. Thank you so much, Lemuel and Esther and little Sophia. When our hearts are fully devoted to God, when we make choices to do what is right in His eyes, when we go, when, when nothing stops us from maintaining godly practices, because truth is, we have many practices in our lives which we have no problem maintaining. But when it comes to godly practices in our lives, all of us, all of us wrestle. And and this is where, folks, if I can encourage all of us that as one, that we overcome out of that love for God, let nothing impede us from maintaining that godly practices so that we can be drawn closer to the Lord. And just like the way we see Lemuel, Esther, and Sophia, and and the older girl did, nothing was stopping them. One of the third, the third thing and the third, third thing that Josiah did in fostering that God centered heart was that he refused to be swayed by what the Lord had to offer. Oh, sorry, what, what the world had to offer. Yes, Lord, everything of the Lord we want. What the world had to offer. To see, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And Proverbs 4, 25 to 27 speaks directly into this resolve. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. There is a simplicity to the life of the godly. 
all through the Bible. The way of godliness is a straight path ahead. It calls for us to avoid detours. Because detours promise us a lot, but they often lead to dead ends and death. And Josiah, as we have seen, determined what he would do or he would not do even before temptations came. Have you already decided what you will do in moments of temptations? so that you are prepared to flee and to overcome? Or are you just taking it as it comes and then you decide at the spur of the moment? River Cyphus, like Josiah, may we make it our pursuit to say that, Oh God, that I might live my life to please you. that I resolve in my heart, I refuse in my heart and I dis, you know, to be swayed in my down times when I sit in front on my laptop. Decide what I will watch. God help me in what I listen to, in what I watch, in what I participate in, in the decisions that I make, in the partnerships and the friendships that I have, in how I dress. My body is yours. My body is your temple. Lord, be glorified. May I please you. What are we vulnerable to? What are we susceptible to? You know. Would you decide what you would not do and what you would do in your susceptible, your vulnerable moments? We have them all. And they're specific to each one of us. In this final segment, I'm going to just say two things about awakening revival today. From the context of our passage here. And the first thing about us, you and I, ordinary men and women, awakening revival today, the first is this. It involves swimming against the tide. Josiah saw the idolatry and the moral decay all around him during his reign. And he could have just followed in the footsteps of his forefathers and ignore it. Or he could put a stop to the idolatry that God hated. But Josiah, as we have read, he rejected everything that is contrary to God's word. He moved beyond just his personal godly convictions. He didn't just keep it to himself. He moved beyond personal godly convictions and he made a difference and he effected social change. And by destroying the idols and grounding them to dust, Josiah showed that he was willing to do what is right, even though it was tough, 
even though it was unpopular. What does swimming against the tide for us look like today? Scriptures tells us that our lives are to revolve around God's word and his kingdom. But what is the Singapore narrative? It's centered around our careers, our achievements, our entertainment, our comfort, and our convenience because money talks. In June this year, we uh, conducted a, a camp centered on the worldview uh, for our children. And we had a, 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 also a, a session with the parents. And at the camp, we asked the kids, why do we study? If we can have um, the post-it pad. Do you see that? Oh, no. The previous one. Previous one, yes. So the kids, the primary, these are primary school going children. We were asked, why do you study? And the responses were all here. And we asked a, a, a follow-up question, how do you feel about studying? Oh my, the responses were so pathetic. <laughs> I hate it. My parents forced me. It sucks. Primary school children. I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm anxious. But amongst all the reason, we, we picked this particular one that was written by one of our, uh, these camps that was conducted. And you had a glimpse of it earlier. Why do we study? So apt to the Singapore story. No study, no degree. No degree, no good job. No good job, not enough money, not, not good life, and cannot be happy. Hey, this is one of your kids writing, huh? So true, isn't it? We laugh because this is the reality that we lived in. We are more influenced by the world's symbols, norms, and narratives than we think. And um, I'd just like to show you a, a slide. Which describes in a, in a more serious fashion the expression of the child in a post-it pad earlier. The Singapore story reads like this. Study hard. And it must come with enrichment and tuition. Make sure you get your DSA point, your CCA points, you know. Go for it. Then, okay, fast track. Get a degree. Fight for scholarships. Then while you're doing your degree, fight for internships. Why get a degree? The child already told us, right? Because we want to have a good job. A high-paying job. Why? Because I want to have a good life. Whatever good life means, probably lots of money, you can do what you want, you can live a good life. You're not restricted by anything. But at the same time, that means you work overtime, you get burnout, and 
The five C's in contemporary Singapore today has to do with cash, your career, your cultural proficiency. Really, it means your ability to connect with people different from you. Credibility and convenience. We'll let this stay for a while. Amen. Yeah. River Lifers, I want to share with you what I was confronted with. I did not realize that I was bought into the Singapore story. Well, at least, you know, for many years, I didn't want to admit it. Like every mother and father here, you know, we want the best for our children. So we drive them hard. Uh, I, I was told that 10-year series have been changing hands after PSLE, you know, in our church also, in preparation for the P5s who are going to P6 next year. It's already happening. I didn't realize I bought into this Singapore story until my dear daughter presented an alternative to me. Um, uh, By the way, I have her full permission to talk about this. We are good. So as a typical mother, I... I Did everything, like all of you, okay? Um, And as a very, you know, instinctively, as a mother, very protective, I wanted to spare my daughter of the harsh realities. What's the harsh realities? Because her alternative was she decided to discontinue her degree program. And I said, what? Who does this? And that, that, that brought me on a, a real roller coaster of, of, of sorts. This can't happen. How can this happen in my own household? How can, you know, how, how, can, how can my daughter be kind of less than, than what I've done? They, they should all be, you know, doing more, doing better. But what is this? And so over the time of processing this journey that she, this this choice that she made, I realized that God was using her choice, her decision to confront me that this really was the template that I wanted for my children. It can be no other way. And so I was just seeing through the choice that she made through the lens of the Singapore story, the realities of it. But I wasn't seeing it through God's reality. There was nothing biblical, nor was how I was handling the situation reflecting God's heart in journeying with my daughter where she is. But I was more concerned that she would fit into the template of the Singapore story. And and, and that, that really was my issue. And to know that, you know, do I not trust God, that God loves her perfectly more than I do? Because what I was concerned with is just that, hey, you know, do what all Singaporean 
all Singaporeans do, you know, young adults do. So that we can all sing the same song and write the same story together. Is it biblical? I wasn't so concerned about discovering God's best for her in how God wired her. But I, 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 my, my whole you know, trajectory, my focus, and I devoted all my emotional energy to make sure that she falls in line to the Singapore story. So you see, River Lifers, and I speak especially to parents here today, our ideas, our thinking, our mindset have consequences, just like our choices. And many of us might have been driving our children to fit the Singapore narrative and this path at the expense of our relationship with our children. Because that affected my relationship with my daughter for a while until I had to repent. Am I prepared to reflect God's heart? Yes, choices have consequences. But am I prepared, like God, prepared to journey with her, just like the way God is prepared to journey with each one of us, regardless of what choices we have made in the past. And this is when I was confronted with Romans 12. Do not conform yourself to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind then you will be able to know the will of God, what is good, what is pleasing to him and is perfect. Going with the flow is easy because we'll look normal. But swimming against the tide, even in the core of who we are, is uncomfortable. But folks, we get onto this path of awakening, awakening revival when we swim against the tide. And the tide can take the form of our worldly mindset, of our flesh, of our comforts, our convenience, of, and even the enemy. Where we need to swim against the tide to get onto this path so that we are on this path to please the Lord in all our ways, in all our decisions, even in the things unseen, even in the attitudes of our heart and how we see people, how we see children and what matters to most. Has there been a time you followed the crowd even though the decision wasn't best for you? Is there anything facing you today that you need to push back on instead of going with the crowd? Awakening revival today also involves this, returning to the word. The reading of God's word humbled Josiah to the point of repentance 
and revival. And the discovery of the word and the reading of God's word revived his spirit on a personal level to the point of action that it changed the nation. Every great revival in history is built upon a rediscovery and recommitment to the word. And in no time in history today has the word of God been more accessible to us today. But the truth and reality is, in so many ways, we have buried it in our business of life and all the activities that we're accustomed to. So God's word can bring comfort, but it also brings conviction because there are consequences to the choices that we make. And that's why, you know, we're challenging our people, read the word, read the word. There's a Bible plan. Discover the truth. But as a people of the word, we're not merely learners. Having the head knowledge and, and being able to have stimulating discussions about the word. I was once told, a dear friend of mine said, you know, my mother goes for years and year on year for Bible study, but she is one of the most difficult women to be around with. Why is that? Because it's not mere head knowledge that we want. We are intent on seeking after God. Wanting more of God in us. We are dissatisfied to settle for mediocre Christian life. We want to go deeper. We want to reveal His likeness. But for that to happen, the question is, are you and I willing to submit under the authority of God's word that confronts our self-centeredness and the full of my needs mentality? Because there is nothing subjective about submitting to God's revealed and absolute truth. And so today, it's not the outward show of tearing your clothes. We don't do that today. But the Lord desires a change in your heart and mind. It's a renewal dedication to the Lord. Joel 2.13 tells us, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. We have the very treasure of God's word that's calling us to repentance and revival in the Lord. River Life is to sum up. Awakening revival begins not just in mass settings. Mass settings are great. But revival, awakening revival begins with you and I at the individual level. It starts there. Each one of us. It is a call upon every person in every group every age group. No one is too young nor too old to awaken revival in our midst. You know, Josiah's life illustrated 
to us what God can do to someone who seeks the Lord earnestly and is wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord and His Word. And from that personal level, Josiah broke the cycle of rebellion against God in the nation of Judah. Whenever God's Word is read and obeyed, great changes begin to take place in individuals and the community at large. May we allow His Word to transform us so that we can be a people of God's Word. You know, God's Word calls us to pursue Him. It calls us to be a generation that remains in Him. And it calls us to be that generation that increases our devotion to Him. So revive us, Lord. Align our hearts to Yours. Shall we just spend these few moments as we worship the Lord and as we express to the Lord our desire to pursue Him? Thank you for listening to the River Life Podcast. We hope that you've encountered Jesus through the Word. If you'd like to connect with community or find out more about River Life Church, find us on Facebook, Instagram or head on over to riverlife.org.sg. God bless and have a great week ahead.